and welcome to Movies in a Microphone, the Little Theater's official podcast. Uh, we have the High Falls Women in Film series taking over the podcast today. We're going to be talking about But I'm a Cheerleader, directed by Jamie Babbitt from 1999. So to briefly give you some background on the High Falls Women in Film series, we have been showcasing a new film every month at The Little uh, for the past year. We're actually a continuation of the High Falls Women Women's Film Festival, which is a mouthful. So we like to focus on storytelling from a woman's perspective. And I have here with me some amazing members of our programming committee that are here and they're going to discuss this amazing film, but I'm a cheerleader. So I'm just gonna briefly go around and have them introduce themselves. I'm Candace Grimes, by the way. <laughs> My name is Matt Turk. I'm Greta. KP. Adam. Marion. Ooh, I love the mix of last name and not last name. Ooh. Yeah, like a few of you were more mysterious than I feel like it's Matt just your default from when you're on stage introducing yourself. That's just what you go into. It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Plus there's some Madonna qualities, you know. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> like I really felt it with KP. Like, KP. <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, as I said, we choose a different film every month. So for February, we're doing But I'm a Cheerleader. We really felt like aesthetically, it really aligned with uh, all things Valentine's Day. Like the aesthetic is very like conversation hearts, which we'll get into a little bit because it definitely explores some of those gender constructs, which is a huge theme in the movie. So as I said, we try to focus on storytelling from a woman's perspective. Jamie Babbitt directed, and um, she also, she didn't write the screenplay, but she did come up with a story because her mom actually uh, ran a rehab called True Directions. What? Yes, uh, which those of you who have seen the movie know that is the name of the gay conversion therapy camp that the main character is sent to. She wanted to make the gay clueless, as, as she has dubbed it. So she wanted to do a coming-of-age story that involved teenagers that was funny and sort of poking fun at gender construct, sexuality, and this idea of gay conversion, which is really a ridiculous idea when you get right down to it. Whenever it was first released, it didn't get, it wasn't that well received, reviews were not nice, um, but it has since become a cult classic and actually revered as one of the best LBGT films ever made, um, which we can talk about if we really feel like that is true. But one of the reasons we chose the movie was because we felt like it was kind of before its time and a lot of the themes were still relevant to today's conversations about sexuality and gender. So I wanna get a little bit into that with our lovely panel here. So I think first we can kind of just talk about ways that it was ahead of its time and, and some different conversations um, around that, and if there's anything that sticks out to any of you as you watched the movie. I don't mind going first. Um, I'd say it's one of those movies, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's ahead of its time or just timeless, right? It just feels like some of this, I think, comes into the setting, right? They're like in a dollhouse, so mm -hmm. I think that kind of takes you back to how things are, like just the setting and the story. I mean, 
it's a it's a classical romance in its own way, right? You have your grumpy and your sunshine, so that is always <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> timeless. But <laughs> I think that's that also plays a role in it, right? And it's a coming of age tale, so mm-hmm. you kind of got it all. You're trying to find out who you are as a person and grow into that and reject <laughs> the conformities of things. So yeah, and I feel like conformity is a huge theme. Um, that's told visually a lot in the film as well. But Adam, I think you were... No, I was going to say, I feel like it's kind of discussion about gender and what that means is a discussion that is still going on today um, that hasn't gone away and it's just gotten, I feel like, new facets to the conversation over time. Um, And so I think it still speaks to a lot of the conversations that are still being had. Plus the cast, I feel like. Yes, the cast is still very relevant. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. so Natasha Leone is obviously the, the cheerleader in But I'm a Cheerleader, and she's gone on to do every, everything she does is amazing. I mean, Russian Doll as like the most recent. Even I started watching her new um, Poker. show, oh, Poker, Poker Face, Face which, I haven't gotten which is so good. And she's become such like a gay icon. She has to like tell people she's straight like it's it's where she's like no I'm actually sorry I'm straight but yeah I mean even with Orange is New Black she you know played a gay character um yeah and even some of the um background roles like Melanie Linsky Linsky Yellow Jackets Um, and then yes she was just now in The Last of Us oh yeah that's right um, it was funny because when I was watching I was thinking about how it made me want to watch uh what was it Heavenly Creatures with her and yes. Yes. which is such kind of a similar story and vibe. You know, like, you know, this has less murder in it. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, ooh, interesting that you equate to. <laughs> but, I mean, just that whole kind of, like, here's the exploration of, like, two young girls and what is the nature of yeah. their relationship? Sexual yeah. tension. Yeah, even um, Michelle Williams is yeah. in it as the, one of yeah. the... The bad friends, the bad cheerleaders. You got but yeah, and of course yeah. RuPaul. RuPaul, Dante Bresco. Yes. <laughs> I'm honestly kind of distracted thinking about how that conversation went and what RuPaul's thoughts were on like the oh, film and the character. I'm like, sure he I, loved it. But He's like, so campy and like, I, I just feel like it's right up his alley because the movie is just so campy. And like him in the straight is great t-shirt is like... Yeah. A forever meme, like in my heart. So just think of like him telling, and I can't remember her name. Who is she kidding? Just the way, <laughs> like when she runs out and tries to say, you know, she's straight, and just. <laughs> and I feel like Clea Duvall. I feel like I need to oh, throw yes. out there because she's amazing and now has a career as a director. I forget the she did the Captain Stewart. Ha- thank you, Happiest Season. I was like, it had a season in the title. But I yeah. Oh, you. she directed it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that. That's cool. I think she wrote it. Oh. Don't quote me on that because it's a personal story for her. Nice. Oh. Yeah, that's actually in my uh, research in this. I learned that she was not out during the filming of But I'm a Cheerleader. Like, now oh. she's such a gay icon. And, like, especially watching the movie back, you're like, how did people... I mean, it may have been what people knew, but she wasn't out. Um, and that she actually, in interviews, has said, like, it was scary for her when the movie got released because she felt like it sort of outed her in a way. But I found that to be really interesting that, you know... Because her character really struggles with it. I think her character almost struggles with it more than Megan, the, the main character, because, you know... 
uh, Natasha Leone's character, Megan, like in the beginning, that's where we get the title of the film, but I'm a cheerleader. She's like, but I'm a cheerleader. Like her friends and family have to convince her that she's a lesbian. And she's like, I, you know, I don't see it. Like, I don't understand why I might. Whereas Graham, Cleo Duvall's character is a college student. She's already kind of out. She's more in her sexuality, but Megan ends up being the one who kind of has to woo her away from the gay conversion camp at the end. Sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it. <laughs> but yeah, it's almost this person who's sort of newly accepted their sexuality. She's almost more willing to sort of put it out there than this sort of way that it mirrors that. And that's also funny because we, Matt and I recently rewatched The Faculty, <laughs> which uh, Clea Duvall is also in, which I think came out the year before. But the her whole arc of her character is everyone, well, not arc, I guess, in the scheme of the plot, but everyone thinks her character is gay, but she's really not. And it turns out that, no, she she wants <laughs> to be with the uh, quarterback in the end. But it's funny, yeah, yeah, what role she had right around the same time. Right, yeah. It's interesting to watch her journey. I just wanted to mention, I thought it was really interesting both in the mentioning of conformity and then also the mention of conversation hurts and then how it feels timeless. One of the things that I think, uh, I'm a production design nerd and so I feel like I spent a lot of time looking at like what sets look like very much within a film and like the visual of it. And I think what's really interesting about this is the, the choice to actually paint everything in one color within certain rooms I think is actually a very smart choice that I'm surprised more films don't do. Because in this case, one, I think there is an interesting thematic element that I had not thought before this discussion about everything in the room conforms to each other. It's all the same color, mm -hmm. which I had not considered yeah. that everything actually in, is part of the same. In the beginning, everything's brown. Everybody's yeah. wearing brown. All the school, everything is just brown. Yeah. Until she gets there and then everything, like a dollhouse is the pink or the blue. And then eventually when she goes to the... I can't remember the name of the... The gay bar? Not the gay oh. bar. Oh, and I'm not going to say that. But <laughs> what the name of that is. But <laughs> when she goes to the home with the two gay men, oh, like right. the After colors the there bar. are much more, like, yeah, sure, the pajamas are rainbow. But, like, yeah. their clothes are just more normal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I also, in that case, thought it is actually very smart on, like, a practical level because nothing immediately within the actual conversion camp dates it so specifically of the time that kind of keeps it dollhousey feeling very timeless because, oh, it's just everything's pink, everything's blue. And I think that's a really interesting, smart choice in the filmmaking, which is my general feeling on, on the film is that it's for such a indie, small film, it makes some extremely smart choices that keep it feeling timeless and very much like, I think that has helped it keep it feeling resonant in that case, is that it it feels still like, oh, maybe this was just the slight distant past or this makes enough sense. Like, I think it's really, really interesting in that case that how it was put together in a way that has helped it last. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it almost becomes like a psychological space at that point too, you know, because you're so removed from reality. Mm -hmm. Um, that you kind of just like as an audience member co-signed to this sort of ridiculous thing that is happening <laughs> with yeah. everything within the gay conversion therapy camp. And that's, I mean, it's very serious subject material. You think of, you know, 
decades later, Miseducation of Cameron Post comes out, yeah. right? It's kind of the flip side of that, I think. And <laughs> so I think making it like a dollhouse or psychological, mm -hmm. more like that takes you out of the seriousness of what they're in. Yeah. 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 It helps It helps keep a very, I mean, for better or worse, but it helps keep a very serious, traumatic subject matter actually feeling lighter because it kind of gives it a sense of heightened reality as opposed mm -hmm. to something that could be otherwise very dark and grim, so. Yeah, and I think that was actually one of the things that Jamie Babbitt said, like, one of her motivations for making this movie and why she felt like a lot of people didn't get it when it came out was that she wanted to make it funny. She wanted it to be a dark comedy. She wanted to poke fun at gender constructs, but also poke fun at this idea of gay conversion therapy. And, you know, I think in an interview she was saying, like, most of the movies made about gay people around that time, like, especially coming out of, like, the AIDS um, epidemic, like, they were all so doom and gloom. And, you know, it was her goal to make a movie where, like, the lesbians end up together and everyone's happy and one of them doesn't die of like a horrible disease. Um, and yeah, and I think definitely in the production design, that's that's one way that um, she's able to sort of keep that, um, keep it light. I have a, just a quick personal question for Adam, which is my memory of this is watching it at your parents' house on a, like a TV on DVD. Did I make up that memory? But it's, I associate this with you and I watching it like late at night, like in the dark, almost like a thing that was like very early on in our queer film like history of being like, oh, like we're watching this slightly forbidden film, slightly forbiddenly themed thing mm -hmm. at a point where we weren't out. like. But I, made, I might have made that up also. I'm not. I'm honestly not sure. I don't remember that specifically because I know we watched it more recently. Oh yeah, yeah. But I don't have a memory before that. It's possible because I know the first time I saw it was uh, freshman year of college. Yeah. Um, at Fredonia, and a friend of like the my friend circle was like, "Oh my God, you have to watch this movie," and that was before I was out. And I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but that yeah, but it's very possible that we watched it. I've said it on a podcast, and so now it's real. So, so yeah, so yes, well, it was because like there's a lot of scenes in the movie that are like that, where it's this very hushed. Like, I mean, one thing that I found fascinating too is like it's a gay conversion camp, but like all the boys have to stay with the boys and all the girls have to stay with the girls. So like it really facilitated sort of these characters' first the sexual worst. experience. The worst yeah. version. Like, I mean, I'm not like, You're yeah, let's come up with a better way to do this, but damn if my brain didn't start to try to come up with better ways because that was the worst. Yeah. No, that's, that was part of the irony, I feel like. And that was a lot of that hushed, like, we have to keep it a secret and we're watching, you know. And kind of speaking to that a little bit is the movie was actually given an NC-17 rating when it first was released. You must have missed the sexy stuff. Yeah. They don't and, like female pleasure. Right, exactly. And that was the thing, because, again, the director, she was like, I want to know why. She's like, I tried to make the gay clueless. Like, this is a PG, PG-13, maybe. And so she actually spoke to someone at whatever agency it is that does the rating, and she said, you cannot reference a woman going down on another woman. And if you take that line out, we'll give you an R 
rating. But there's no nudity. There's hardly any, you know, like provocative language. Oh. There's even the scene of their intimacy is really funny. Um, it's not a funny scene, but Natasha Leone and Clea Duvall did an interview for the anniversary and they were saying like, we were really nervous. You're just seeing body parts and we're wearing like 1950s nightgowns. Like it wasn't risque. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so I feel like there definitely was like a level of sexism there. Um, and I just found it to be fascinating. Oh yeah, like the female sexuality is always, I feel like, judged much more harshly when it comes to film ratings. I, th I think she's, Jamie Babbitt is in, there's a documentary called This Film Is Not Yet Rated yes. um, that yep. talks about film rating and what nonsense it is. Mm -hmm. And I think she's in there talking about the difficulties with this movie and like being branded with that for no real legitimate yeah. reason. And so it's something that people got in their heads. Oh, this is a, this is a naughty film. This is a pornographic movie. And, you know, and I think she attributed to it, too, just it being gay sex, too, not mm, just yeah. woman on woman, but it's, you know, it's this taboo subject that um, the average person needs to be warned against, you know. And so I think, I think if it were made today, it would probably get a PG, maybe a PG-13, maybe a 13. I feel like 13. It's a solid yeah. PG-13 with yeah. a crush. I don't remember what the name of the bar was, but I do think it was... Oh, it was, it was, it was called Suckers. It's a rooster yeah. that yeah. likes to drink. <laughs> yes. And, and so I, I would see that, that yeah. moves it out of the PG. But that's the thing. Like, that's what's the interesting, drinking though. rooster. Like, that wasn't even one of the... It wasn't like, oh, well, the bar is called Cocksuckers, so you have to, you know. <laughs> like, it was like, oh... Seems like yeah. the ladies are touching it. They really, they really should have just been like, mm, no, you, you can't have a bar named that. That's over the line. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Instead of, I was, I don't remember what I was watching last night, and it referenced like the fresco in Pompeii that's just like spread lady, you know, like, and it's just on the wall, and it's a museum tour. Mm -hmm. So, tell me, yeah, are children allowed to go to Pompeii? Yeah. <laughs> I think, though, that sincerely, though, that comes up with that whole discussion on, like, oh, this is of historical significance, or this is a museum, as opposed to being like, this is, this is art. Yeah, this is art, as opposed to being like, this is a film. And then the discussion then comes become, is it for entertainment? Is it for art? Or is like, it because a man probably did that fresco? That's and that's that's <laughs> the thing is like literally but like that, like very much like that whole balance of it and being like, I mean, like that's that's the constant. Like like, if, if a dude made this movie, would it have been a problem? Right? Yeah, I think it's a sincere question, like and the sincere constant hypocrisy. <laughs> and that's why we're doing this series. That's right. Marion, you've been very quiet. Do you have any thoughts? It doesn't have to be about anything that we've talked about, but just. I do think that, like, um, when did Ellen come out? Ooh. I feel like it was earlier. It was, no, like it, was a, it, was it was a long time. Like, she, because it was when she had the sitcom, right? And mm -hmm. then yeah. she, was it, like, the final episode or something? No. She came there. out and then it got canceled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. April 30th, 1997. The oh. puppy episode. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what colors a lot of the conversation we're having right now, right? Like in 1997, a lesbian coming out on national television is so revolutionary and so like crazy that like the show immediately gets canceled, right? Um, it's a Times Square or it's a Time Magazine cover, you know, um, the discussion going around is like she's Ellen DeGeneres. 
you know mm. like mm -hmm. that is the that is what's coloring the conversation in 1999 around like gay shit in general mm -hmm. right um especially like lesbian shit um so yeah i do think that like we have made so many gains in our lifetime in terms of like where the culture has gone but it's it's still like really mind-boggling to think that yeah 1999 not that long ago i was alive <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, but like it, it is, it's like a completely different world, you know, like I, I don't fault anyone t for feeling, you know, uncomfortable being out at that time, you know, mm. totally. But also like we have come pretty far, but like still tw in 20 years, you would think that there would be like a million, but I'm a cheerleader is out there. We've had the great 2022 and the 2023 has been the great loss of so much sapphic television. Like, if you had a lead, it was very likely that your show ended, abruptly was canceled. There there was a ton of shows last year that just got the axe. I mean, A League of Their Own still hasn't been renewed for season two and is critically acclaimed. Yeah, that's what, you know. And so here we are 20 years later and we're seeing this kind of blowback. Yeah, and like the Kill Your Queers trope is only like a couple years old. I mean, it's a lot older, but like the naming of it is only a, a couple years old, and that's yeah. still something that we're like we're dealing. Can with. Can you explain what that is? Um, it's kind of this idea where if you've got a show where you've got lady characters who are gay or gay characters who are gay, just gay characters in general, <laughs> uh, you can't be in love for too long because one of you is going to die. Mm. And sometimes, as soon as you've consummated your relationship, infamously, uh, you have Tara and Willow for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which, mm -hmm. and then the big push was uh, Clark and Lexa for um, the 100, where it spurned like billboards and major fan kind of fandom activism towards it to be like we've had enough like we've wanted this for seasons they finally get together and then you immediately brutally murder one of them so yeah and I think that that ties right back into sort of Jamie Babbitt's goal in making this movie was like yeah, let's happy not eggs. do that Rainbow like, butterflies. it's a happily ever after she does a cheer she gets her girl you know and, and I'll say like yeah that does make it ahead of its time you know? Yeah. Because, like, we're still trying to get there. Yeah. And I think it's it's actually kind of, it's both shocking and it's also frustrating in that case that, like, there's also that sense of, it's the usual thing within film where, like, dramas versus comedies. And the thing where, like, the dramas are historically what are considered the loftier, more award-worthy, artistically merited films. And the comedies are like, oh, they're fun. Oh, they're silly. Oh, aren't they, you know, goofy? And they're not given as much, like, I want to say respect, or I don't want to, gravitas is the wrong word. But you know what I mean in that case? But yeah. it's that balance of, like, we both need dramatic stories, and we need things where, like, we can see characters, you know, going through, going through some shit, you know? And we can see, like, that element mm -hmm. of, like, death is a part of life, mm -hmm. drama's, a, like, unfortunately a part of life. But in that case, also, it's a case of still trying to get films that actually feature joy in some cases is actually still very difficult, especially in, I would say, more minority representation on film is still, like, also a minority storytelling on film. It's, it's tougher for us to get that kind of a representation, I think, still, even now, today. I think that's funny because generally when those comedic actors 
take a stab at drama, they just crush it. And so it's kind of like, ooh, what was the harder task to pull off here? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think that's that's a, I would say that's like a, I don't want to say a trope, but like a frequently mentioned thing and the people who actually like are in the like comedic industry and know it is that like getting comedic timing down is so difficult and such a skill that we take for granted mm -hmm. that therefore comedic actors doing drama have such an intrinsic better sense of timing because well, of that. So much of comedy is just based on like ripping yeah. apart the human experience, right. taking out the ugly stuff and making fun of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so like the, the dramas are still stuck in the, I'm looking at it and the comedies mm. are like, and I stepped back and let me tell you, that looks like a placenta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's kind of what this movie does too. Like it's a very dark subject matter and just like the lesson too of like, you've got to be able to make fun of yourself, laugh at yourself, like like you were saying, take a step back and and be like, oh, now that I've lived through this, this is actually pretty funny. Like, oh, hashtag funny, not they funny. They thought that if they just locked all, <laughs> all the girls in a room together that they would be less gay. Right. And yeah. give them the little tasers, because that really helped. Oh, the tasers, yes, yeah. that was the best. Um, and I think, like, just, you know, to sort of jump off your your... Um, phrase of having all the girls in the room together. I think like this movie does a great job of showing, um, sort of exploring the female gender identity because even within that group at the the conversion camp, you have so many representations of what it is to be a young girl. And I don't think that that's, especially in the 90s, wasn't really happening. And even so, just to have the main character be this very femme lesbian who isn't like, oh, I'm gay, so now I have to like ride a, ride a motorcycle and cut my hair and, you know, be this, you know, butch stereotype. And in um, fact, the butch stereotype is straight. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so I think in that way, it's it did something, it sort of fills a hole that that is almost still missing in a lot of media now. And I think a lot of young girls could definitely relate and see themselves, you know, on the screen in that sort of way. Like she's a cheerleader. She's a quintessential girls' girl. Yes, the yeah. American dream girls' girl. So, <laughs> I mean, she is kind of an interpretation of Jamie Babbitt, but Jamie Babbitt was a theater kid. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what's funny about uh, Megan's character too is she so like naively loves cheerleading. Like, I think because it, when I was first watching the movie, I wanted her to be like, yeah, I don't like cheerleading. Like, you know, you're waiting for, like, the the facade to kind of drop. And then you're like, oh, no, like, this is who she is. She's got a zest for life. She really does. <laughs> there's, still, there's a lot of two-dimensionality to a lot of the things that are there, too. You know, so, like, she's not a person with a full life. She's a person with cheerleading. Yeah. In, if she was a full person, there would be all kinds of other influences. She would have a friend. Yeah, and that person would have been an important voice. Whereas I know there were some chicks who showed up at her like intervention talk. Yes, but we don't know who they are. Yes, but like, and then even like the perspective of the parents is very like mm -hmm. they don't seem to know anything about her either, other than that she's a cheerleader and they think she might be a lesbian. And honest to God, I watched this movie and I don't 
know why anyone thinks she's a lesbian. It's because she listens to Melissa Etheridge. She had the girl pictures in her locker. Yeah, she, she's, a vegetarian. she's a vegetarian. She wasn't. They, they told you in, when they were sitting just yeah. like us. Yeah, they, they said. That might be part of my problem because I always, I'm just kind of like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what the big deal is. Like, and I watch this and I'm like, is she a lesbian? I mean, I know that she's in love with Clea Duvall, but like, okay. Mm -hmm. Like is yeah. that like a is that like a for life thing or is that a Clea Duval thing? I don't yeah. know. Whereas this is too early yeah. in her lesbian career mm -hmm. for us. To yeah, <laughs> she'll be a professional. And that's why it's <laughs> coming of age. Like it's her figuring that shit out. And I do get to your point. Like she is a little bit of a one note character. I receive. But that, I mean, that's it, fair. that fits with the the sets that fits with the yeah. production design. Yeah. Like yeah. that's the whole flavor of it. Mm -hmm. the theatricality. Yeah, this is not a you know. Everyone is all rich. It's not Game of Thrones. It's a solid 90. Oh, go ahead. I do think it's interesting, though, that we're, where this film does like kind of play with some of that reality um, when she leaves the camp mm -hmm. and like gay dad it's number true. one is all like, what are you doing with the rest of your life? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's a reality that they, that like Jamie Babbitt alludes to in this movie, but doesn't really like talk about. Like, mm -hmm. Bram is afraid of coming out because. She's got money on the line. Yeah, she's her got family her entire will future, disown. and like that reality of like coming out and how that means that you lose your family, like, like support. You know, what are you gonna do with the rest of your life? You know, you're on your own, kid. Yeah, it's 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 horrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying, and mm -hmm. it's a uh, not a fun time. Mm -hmm. Isn't there something briefly at the end where the parents they go to a P flag? Yeah, meeting that's and the what mother, it is. The, the dad. It's like a montage, or yeah. Something. Well, the dad gets up and he's all hyped for her, and yeah. then the mother's still, you know, she's wearing like a big hat and sunglasses and yeah. hiding in her scarf, like she's there, but she's They're trying. Not. Yeah, she's just a little bit further behind than the dad. Yeah, I think also that's one of those examples of like, it is. Queer film is important and queer media representation is important because it does give people access to it, not just uh, queer kids, questioning kids, et cetera, uh, but also in terms of parents, families, other people as well, just to be like, it's not something that no one is talking about, not so hush-hush, it does exist. And I think that it's one of those still definitely difficult challenges though, is that like this, for example, I think showing a character going through the, you know, a, a transition over the course of figuring out their sexuality and then the parents, while there's not much transition there, but at least showing it, like that I think is the kind of thing that would be important to show parents of teenage queer kids, but this is not the sort of thing that by their own, I feel like most parents would likely stumble across and be like, you know, just like in passing and be like, oh, great, let's put on But I'm a Cheerleader. I wish they would, like in that case, but I think that those are some of the bits of representation and bits of actually like importance of queer film and why this one I think, again, both stands the test of time and is still something that is relevant and we're having a discussion about is that there are still those elements of it that do transcend just beyond this story and are still very relevant at the current at the current time, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think even going back to sort of the way that the ratings fleshed out, like 
if you were a parent of a of a gay kid in the 90s that had come out to you and then they're like, oh, can we can we rent, but I'm a cheerleader? It's like, oh, it's NC-17. What kind of smut are you trying to bring in? You know, like, yeah. and it sort of stopped a lot of, probably a lot of those conversations from happening back then because what Jamie Babbitt set out to do was make a very innocent movie for teenagers where they could maybe have start those conversations and society was not ready, you know? And so I think in a way that, that stops progress. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that it is, in that case, I mean, like, this is obviously, like, obviously our current media landscape is wildly different from what it was in 1999, like, just a little bit. Like, but in that case, I do think that it is important that these films both still exist, but also people are still discovering them and still sharing them because we know for a fact that they are influential on current creators who are still making things. Um, I did, uh, in my one element of research on this, I did find that this um, was listed as an influence on uh, Alice Oseman, who made Heartstopper, which is a webcomic turned into a Netflix show. Um, And in that case, Alice specifically mentioned that she was like, I want more positive teenage representation where it feels like these kids get the rom-com or they get one shows up in the rain, like literally to like make a declaration sort of a situation. And so I think that that is a current, you know, very popular show, but has some very direct ties again to like what I'm, what but I'm a cheerleader is doing both thematically and then also visually. Well, I would say like it also influenced things too that were following in the next decade. Yeah. Like I had read that article on Auto Straddle that's the history of the queer leader, the queer cheerleader, right? So it start uh, the research had started in the 70s with like exploitation films mainly, so right male gaze, uh, lesbian performance for men. And then you have, but I'm a cheerleader kind of being the flagstaff here to spin something all new, right? So up until like 2009, what you have, uh, you have Glee, Jennifer's Body, you have um, Veronica Mars, you have Heroes. So like this kind of spins something new, this staple tropey kind of character that continues to show up, but in each iteration kind of brings something new. I mean, you even have Cheryl Blossom and Riverdale, one of my favorites. <laughs> no, she's awesome because she's so mean. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that even like right after that, you're making an influence and in opening the door. I mean, even the movies leading right up into this, Jamie Babbitt was influenced by, and I'm going to say the name wrong, but I literally just watched it on Sunday. It's like The Incredible Adventure of Two oh, yeah. Teenage Girls. It's. Uh, I tried to look it up and then my brain blocked, but... Um, We're going to post that in the comments, everyone. I'm just kidding. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it, no, it's a really great movie, and it stars... Um, and it's a, rom- it's a it's a coming-of-age romance between two teen girls, and it's you have your butch and your femme character, and it's Nicole Ari uh, Parker, and you have Laurel uh, from the L Word. I'm blanking on her last name right now. Holloman. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to bet forever. No, uh, sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> Going on, but yes. <laughs> so not just what's moving forward, but also what influenced her beforehand. Yeah, it's a, I feel like it's a a constant moving, like ebb and flow situation of influencing each other, which I think is in, it's important again to like get the, to get the things made. It's literally important because it continues to like find those pieces. 
The Incredibly True Adventure of Two Girls in Love. Thank you. Oh, I've never heard of it. It's check, that check out. it out. It's yeah. cute. It's new, you said? No, it no. just came out two, three 90, years before. Yeah, 95. Oh. Oh, yeah, she... Damn. It's the movie... It's one of the movies that inspired Jamie Babbitt to making oh. this. Very cool. And, I mean, Jamie Babbitt's still out here working, okay? She directed episodes of A League of Their Own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, again, back to what you said, needs to Season be renewed. Season two. So yeah, you just blew my mind. I had no idea. It hadn't no, been they've yet. had them lingering, and then you think, okay, well, now the actors are just going to go start getting other work. So, very unfortunate. So, I think we've had a pretty solid talk about this. Does anyone have any lingering thoughts? I would like to finish by maybe going around and talking about, like, another coming-of-age film or an experience that you had either, like, a movie that you saw that you you felt, I don't want to say sexual awakening, but, like, <laughs> sexual awakening. Um, no, but, like, <laughs> these, these are good. either, yeah, either something, you know, so a movie that you feel sort of... Help to move the needle for you personally yes, in your adolescence like in or your later. adolescence or teenage or teenage years, something that you saw that like either a love story that you felt like you could connect with. I feel like uh, this movie, while I was watching it, I kept thinking of other things that I watched. It was probably approximately the same time, and so like Heavenly Creatures. Why? Because Melanie Linsky's there. I don't know. Maybe, but seriously. It's not a different movie. And we should always be thinking about Melanie Lewis, honestly, yeah, though. All the time, 24-7. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and then Foxfire with uh, Angelina, and I have no idea what that other chick's name was. Oh. And those lesbians who missed it, you missed something. Yeah, what was <laughs> that? That was a good one. Foxfire. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> I've no. never heard of it. And um, Dangerous Beauty. Because when they're trying to make them all enjoy having fake sex with each other, I was like, y'all did this wrong. Dangerous Beauty is about the courtesan in like Italy during, I want to say, like Black Plague era. Huh. And I don't remember with that Rufus one. Sewell. I don't remember who the chick was. <laughs> um, she was pretty. Hmm. But, um, but that kind of stuff. So, like, my, like, every, I feel like every 15 minutes, like, another kind of movie popped in my head where I was like, oh, oh it kind of reminds me of that. Oh, I'm thinking of this now. And so it was kind of a little walk down memory lane and also a little bit, how did I not turn out a lesbian? But oh. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just haven't started my lesbian career. An amateur. Lesbian. I was going to say, have you had an intervention where all of your friends and parents send no, you a gay Because apparently that's how you become well, a Well, you can have an, an intervention after this podcast ends. We're sitting in the form. So. I'm not a vegetarian, <laughs> but I feel like the rest of those things, I'm like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, for some reason, the only thing that comes to mind right now is like Crush is cute and current. I don't know if anyone saw that on Hulu. That was no. adorable. What is it, Crush? It's called Crush. It's like a girl, she has a crush on um, this other girl, so she joins track to try to, um, and she's not athletic at all, and um, the girl's sister uh, ends up getting paired with her, and the two of them are just adorable, so um, it's also funny because the leads do not like each other, and that does not affect the chemistry in a negative way. <laughs> You mean like in real life they don't like they each don't other? They don't like each other. There is video evidence of this. Huh. Sometimes that helps. It does. Yeah. 
I am going to toss out what I think is like one of the first gay films I remember watching, which is Trick. I was going to mention Trick. I mean, <laughs> we, we <laughs> um, which came out the same year as But I Met You Later. It's also from 1999, but it is like a, a fairly, in a lot of ways, traditional romantic comedy, but gay. And I have feel like I had never seen that before. And that's, I distinctly remember watching it with you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a just a, a romance about two guys who uh, meet and want to hook up and spend the night looking for a place to have sex. But in over the course of the night, they end up falling in love because they keep being uh, stymied by all of their attempts to to go somewhere alone. And in the end, they yeah fall in love. That sounds and adorable. It does it sound is. adorable. The trick is wonderful. It's so good. When's it from? The 90s? 99. Yeah, 1999. Um, yeah, starring Christian Campbell, Nev Campbell's brother. Nice. <laughs> it is delightful. Does Marion have to come up with a different one now? What's my root? What's my root? Is uh, <laughs> your, yeah, what's your root? <laughs> your origin story? Uh, my, my, uh, you know, <laughs> I feel like it's got to be Buffy. Oh, Ooh. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh yeah. Like, now mine is Buffy too. No, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like everything that has to do with faith. Get out of oh. my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's why when we showed Bring It On, you were like, I like oh. that he didn't mention Eliza. <laughs> What's her last name? Eliza Dushku. Dushku. Yeah. Okay. It's du- it is Dushku. I'm sitting here I didn't like, want to hey, come in hard with the Dushku. Five but. by five, girl. Yeah. Yeah, five yeah. by five. Five by five. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Eliza Dushku and uh, Allison Hannigan. Nice. Yeah. That makes sense, honestly. Ship mm-hmm. them. Right. I was going to say, if we're actually talking about roots, I will also throw out Chris O'Donnell in Batman Forever. I know, I know. I, I knew it. All of oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you hadn't officially gone yet. Well, I mean, you guys have mutual uh, attraction. <laughs> Makes sense for the listeners. They, they are married. Just, like, the same movies. Um, I mean, to be fair, no. I feel like Chris O'Donnell as Robin is like an entire generation of gay men Absolutely. that oh, awaken things. <laughs> Your next bat. Well, now that Adam keeps stealing all of mine, I feel like the only one that I think of is less sweet and nice and more just from like a base level where White Squall switched a little like <laughs> flick in me or like a, a switch. Like I was like, oh, mm-hmm, yep, I, uh, hmm. Because <laughs> it's just about a bunch of like high school boys on a like ship for the summer like they're on a boat <laughs> and none of them are wearing shirts the entire movie yes. I'm gonna say, a lot of running around in underwear a lot. and it's eventually a shipwreck so a lot of wet <laughs> underwear yeah. mm, checks a all lot. the boxes yeah. for it, you there friends literally at the time it was like very much one of those like anton ego tunnel vision moments you're like oh mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. okay yeah uh, side note i <laughs> no i so i just watched the new top gun and the like football game on the beach scene. I was like, did a gay man direct this? Because this is very homoerotic. Like, uh, the movie, the movie overall had a very homoerotic. That's just, I just, yeah, that's just in keeping with the original. The original was the volleyball scene that is also very homoerotic. It was like, it was like shirtless men's in like, shirtless men's? Shirtless man's. (laughs) Shirtless men in cutoff jean shorts. Where I was like, Mm, is this this isn't even athletic gear? This is just. Did it have the magic mic energy? Was that what it was? I haven't seen it. 
it's not, not quite. no, it's, it's not that good. No, it's, it's, it's not that no. good. <laughs> no, it's not intentionally sexual in any sort of way. It just, I mean, it's not as blatant. There's a lot of like, like panning up and down of the abs, like. They they know what crotch to yeah they know what they're doing but it's not yes it's not just full on male strippers like Magic Mike but no but I think original Top Gun with the volleyball scene like same same busy like they were like they were both homaging that but also like again if you're putting on like a base level they're like listen ladies and gays like, right like, right here's, like we know here's that, a scene for you too yeah. <laughs> like, Less interested in the, the hetero men are here for the planes. You're here <laughs> yeah. for this. It's so manly, and then they're just like, yeah. yeah. That's why I was like, oh, what's happening? Like, <laughs> listen, listen, Lady Gaga did the end credits. On, this is true. Right? This is true. That's listen, why I was just I was I getting love gay that vibes. Song? Yeah. Okay. I love the tune. I don't love the lyrics in it. Oh, mm. yeah, whatever. She's but just the, having a good time. She's singing. She, if you've watched uh, the video, it's you know oh, a yeah, giant fan blowing. She's having a good time. Anywho, Candace, bring us home. Um, yes, I derailed us. I'm sorry. Um, okay, my uh, a swing moment. Well, okay. <laughs> Two. One, I was very young, which I was very young. I don't know why I sounded Southern. Um, the Labyrinth, David Bowie's crotch oh. <laughs> in The Labyrinth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I also, like, looking back, I'm like, the power dynamic was not great in the... <laughs> the love, like, Sarah, you, have you seen The Labyrinth? I've never seen The Labyrinth. You know, she's, like, 14. David Bowie's, like, 50. He's, like, kidnapping her brother and is, like, I want you to be my wife forever. I was super into it, but <laughs> I have to say, looking back at it, I'm, like, how much did this influence, you know, me? Choice. Um, choices. <laughs> I would say the other one, Elvira. Um. Yeah. Yes. And that is it. That is all. That's the whole tweet. Elvira. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think we've learned here. It takes all kinds. <laughs> we're going to cut, cut this back half. Yeah, I basically. Snip, snip. Send it out as a Christmas card. It. It's just going to, I'm going to make a song that's just like David Bowie's crotch, crotch, crotch. David Bowie's crotch, crotch. I didn't know we were Elvira. doing a musical podcast. Oh, no, it's going to be a TikTok. Oh, it'll be on TikTok. There's no wrap up. That just fade out. Audio just starts getting And what that has to do with But I'm a Cheerleader, I have no idea. Now it's going to be your ringtone when you I, me yeah, I mean, he, David Bowie was queer, so there we go. Boom. <laughs> Found the connection. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all <laughs> for joining me on our High Falls takeover of Movies in a Microphone. But I'm a Cheerleader is showing on Wednesday, February 15th at the Little Theater at 7.30 p.m. in Theater 5. We hope to see you all there.